Let's turn our Bibles to Judges chapter 6. And the main verse that we'll look at this morning is verse 24. Judges chapter 6, verse 24. And as uh, we get into that scripture, you know me. I'm going to, uh, normally if we're in the New Testament, if we're in the New Testament, you know that I uh, still cover Genesis to Revelation, right? Uh, right? I think Matt kind of talked about that in his prayer if you heard him. But uh, this morning as we're going to look at this scripture in, in the book of Judges, and we look at uh, the Lord is peace, we look at Jehovah Shalom this morning. Uh, I always feel like when you're talking and preaching out of the Old Testament, you've kind of got to get a little bit of understanding, got to get a little bit of, of history behind it. Uh, I challenged a couple people uh, that are, happen to not be here this morning, but uh, because of work and other things, but I challenged them to read Judges chapter 6 through 8 and give me a little bit of feedback, and they did so. You can look at Judges chapter 6 through 8 and the, and the life of Gideon, and you can get a lot of information, and it can really do a work in your life. If you know a little bit more of the backstory, you can even go a little bit deeper into what Judges chapter 6 verse 8 is God is communicating to Gideon and to the children of Israel. And so that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to be able to really try to, as much as we possibly can, get a firm grasp of what the Lord was trying to do with them and what he's trying to do with us today. And so today I hope as we look through God's word that we would see the Lord as peace, that we can have peace in our life. Not only peace and salvation, but we can have peace in our everyday walk with the Lord. What do I mean by that? Peace is to know that, you know what, we don't have to go through this life alone, right? We don't have to go through this life trying to figure out of how to raise children, okay? We don't have to do that on our own. Not only with our spouse, but even with you and your spouse, you can figure those things out with the Lord. You can figure out what's those things as far as a job. Maybe getting into a new career, or maybe starting a career, or maybe finishing your career. What to do and how to do those things you can have the peace of the Lord to know that he walks beside us through those things, whatever we go through. And so there's not only peace and salvation, like I said, but there's also peace in our daily walk with him to know that, you know what, whenever I'm done with this, with my life, life and that I know that I have peace in my security in the Lord as far as salvation and what the Lord has for me even after this earthly life has passed. And so I pray as we look at this scripture this morning, that you would allow yourself to just be open to the Lord. Allow yourself to be in a place that you just say, you know, Lord, how can this scripture help me this morning? And so I pray that that's where our heart is this morning. And I pray that's what we gain from it. And so as we kind of just look at this scripture and and we're going to that's going to be our main text. That's going to be the only one that I'll have on the screen. And we'll get to that in a little bit. But Gideon built at some point in chapter six of verse 24. He builds an altar there to the Lord and he calls that place the Lord is peace. He says, Jehovah Shalom. And so again, like I said, I want to take us back. We all we know and understand Abraham. God had said to Abraham very clearly, Abraham, not anything special about you. I, I called you out from you, everything that you've known, everything about your father's household. I have called you out and I am given you a promise. In Genesis chapter 12, he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. Not only am I going to make you a great nation, I'm going to make you a great nation. So I'm going to make multiple nations from you. But he was talking specifically, he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. It's going to be through your lineage, and I'm going to make you a great people. He says, the, when the people come against you, I will be against the, those people. He said, when those people bless you, anybody that comes and blesses you, I'm going to bless them. He says, I'm going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. 
And so he gave, he gave Abraham a promise and then he continues to give that promise to his son Isaac. The promised son that he said that was going to come from his bloodline, his lineage. He says that promised son Isaac, he says, I'm going to bless him as well. And then from Isaac, he not only God gives it to Isaac, that promise, but then he gives it to Jacob. We understand Jacob's name is then turned into Israel. Jacob had these 12 sons uh, by these women, and he had those 12 blessed sons that he poured so much into and he had so much promise into. We knew a lot about one of those sons, right? We knew about Joseph. A good portion, a good quarter of the book of Genesis about the life of Joseph and how Joseph is favored by his father. And Joseph began to tell dreams there at the dinner table. And his brothers hated him. They despised him because of all the promise that God had in Joseph's life. And you remember that story of how he had that coat of many colors and how they go out there and they work as brothers. And the brothers throw him into that pit and the brothers decide we're not going to just leave him in that pit to die. We're going to make a profit off of him. We're going to sell him into slavery. And the whole entire time while Joseph is going through all of this mess... You see how God, how God is just using him in these different ways. Every situation that he's in, he's being faithful to God. And it seems like he's getting further and further away from God. He gets in that pit and then he goes into prison and he goes into another prison. He's just in a bad situation constantly but he's still faithful to the Lord. And then you know the story of how he interprets the dream, Joseph does, for Pharaoh. And, and uh, because now he's in a, as a slave in Egypt and he's there in that prison now. And Joseph, I mean, Pharaoh is looking for an interpreter to tell him what's going on. And, and Joseph is there and interprets that dream for Pharaoh. And Pharaoh is indebted to Joseph. And of course, Pharaoh says, Joseph, I want you to leave this charge. And you know, it was that time of, of, of years of plenty versus years of famine. And Joseph was in charge of that great task for the nation, the entire nation of Egypt, but also the whole surrounding area. So you know, remember the story of how his brothers come to him. They're looking for food. They think that he's dead. The father thinks, uh, Jacob thinks that Joseph is dead. And finally, Joseph gives them food. But he also reveals himself to his uh, brothers and then later on to his father. He got to see his father on his last days. And his, Jacob thought his, his son Joseph, his darling son by the wife that he wanted, Rachel, he, he got to see not only him again, but he got to see his two boys. Didn't think that he would ever see Joseph again, but not only got to see Joseph, but got to see his two boys. But the nation of, nation of Israel is there. Now they, they all get brought back to Egypt, if you're following with me. The Pharaoh at that time with Joseph dies. He didn't know, uh, the new Pharaoh comes in, didn't know Joseph, was not personal to Joseph. He was not indebted to Joseph like the old Pharaoh was. F Joseph then dies. So both of them are now gone. This new Pharaoh comes in and the children of Israel are nothing to him. Matter of fact, he starts to look at them as now a threat. And the children of Israel are now no longer in the land, land of promise, in the land of Canaan to be their own nation. Now they're in a foreign land and they're in desperate need. I told you a few weeks ago, the last time I preached, that was a picture really of the, the, the situation that we are in when we're born. We are children of, we, we, we have been born uh, in the image of God, the Bible tells us, as far as being creations of God. 
And then, but we find ourselves in a mess. We find ourselves in sin. We find ourselves in bondage. And when we call out to the Lord for salvation, that He hears us and that He saves us because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how was that pictured and how was that portrayed then? Is when the children of Israel cried out and Moses comes and he says, Pharaoh, let my people go. That last tenth plague was the blood sacrifice. To put, this, put the uh, lamb sacrifice, the blood on the door, and as the death angel passed by, that Passover lamb would be would slain, and was, the blood was put on the door, and the angel would come by, the angel of the Lord, the death angel, and would pass by if the blood was on there. The only way that the firstborn would be saved, the only way the firstborn would not be killed would be because of the blood that was on that door. It was a picture to us of the salvation of the Lord, of how the blood is now applied, as we just sang about, the blood is applied to you and I. If the blood is on the door of our heart, then we, that death angel, passes by because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the nation of Israel, and we today, even as a people, can understand that we can have salvation through the Lord. And so they, they came to the Red Sea and the Lord parted the Red Sea because of Moses stretching out his rod and the, the uh, Red Sea opened up a big place on dry land for them to just walk through on the Red Sea. The children of Israel now on the other side of the Red Sea, they're, they're on the other side into the wilderness and now they're on the way to the promised land. And so for them, they're there on the, on the other side of the promised land and God had just delivered them from their enemy. Now for us, I want, I want to say it again. I hope each and every one of us understand that we are in a place of slavery. We are in a place of bondage. And the only way for us to be delivered is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord brings us on the other side of the Red Sea. I hope that that is your personal story this morning, that you have crossed over through the Red Sea in a place of salvation. That you have trusted in the Lord for salvation. And this is what's personal. You understand? This was personal to these people, to the children of Israel. They seen God's miracles. And I told you a couple weeks ago that this was now a journey in their Christian walk with the Lord. That there were still obstacles that they had to face. There were still battles that they, had to, uh, that they had to obtain. And they're on their way to this promised land that God had promised them. When you get to this new place, it will be flowing with milk and honey. Meaning that the things that will be there is exactly where you want to be. It was not just good things of being the children of God and going through this wilderness. But when you get to this place... He goes, God says, I'm going to pour out my best on you. It's a picture for us of the abundant life. Not to just have life and salvation and us to just get by as being a Christian, but it's for us to experience the best that the Lord has for us. And many of us are falling short, right? Many of us are falling short by not getting God's best, not because he's holding out on us, but we're holding out by not giving the Lord our all. And so the children of Israel, as they're there and they're, and, and they're fixing to try to cross over into the, uh, into the land of Canaan, into the new Israel, Moses and that generation were unfaithful. They did not believe. They saw, they went spy out that land. What did they see in that land? They saw giants. They saw uh, too many obstacles for them. They said the walls are so high that it goes up to heaven. And God said, because of your lack of faith, you will not enter into this land. Was there walls that were very high? Absolutely. Was there giants in that land? Absolutely. They were. But God was bigger than any giant that they would ever face. God was bigger than any wall that they would ever possibly face 
in their life. And so uh, that next generation, God says, I'm going to make them, I'm going to allow them to cross over that Jordan River and I'm going to let them get into the promised land. During that time when they went in for battle, you know the story of the book of Joshua, they started to take down walls. God would prepare Joshua and he said, listen, this, this nation, whether it, was, whether it was Jericho, whether it was any other nation in there, God says, here's how I'm giving these people into your hands. The battle was already won beforehand and God just laid it out for Joshua to just walk in there and claim the victory. Sometimes it was with a sword and sometimes it was just with walking around and blowing a trumpet. Whatever the case was, God was going to fight that battle for them. And it was already happened beforehand through prayer and leadership and peace from the Lord. And they conquered that great place, the land that God had promised Abraham all the years before. And at the end of the book of Joshua, Joshua prays and says, and he says, God, listen, as, as for me and my house, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Though everybody else turns away, hey, God, God, we've seen what you've done. We know your promises. You have come through for us. And as for us, God, in this abundant life and, and, and us really living and still having to fight our daily battles. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. The Bible tells us at the end of Joshua and also into the first part of the book of Judges that that generation with Joshua and the rest of the elders... The nation of Israel were faithful until their death. God tells us in the book of Judges at the beginning, he says, listen, when Joshua passes, the people are going to revert back to these foreign gods. And he says, you're going, I'm going to bring judges to you to help you out. But every time the judge is gone, basically, whenever I'm there in present, you're going to worship me. And whenever I pull back and that judge is gone, that leader is gone, you're going to be wicked and ungodly. And so the people cried out to God. The people cried out, no, God, please don't. But and then it happened. And so when we get to the book of Judges, you said, OK, finally. Right. When you get to the I'm looking at my wife and she's looking at me like, OK, are you getting to Judges? Yeah, I'm getting to Judges. We get to the book of Judges. And the people do exactly what God said. There's all these things in their daily life that they have to continue to work on, even in this new blessed land and, the, and in their life. And so as we look in the book of Judges, he tells them that he says, <clears throat> you're going to have to continue to fight these battles in your own land. And so you see a, a one brother calling another brother to say, hey, come help me fight this battle in my land. And he says, after we help each other fight this battle, we're going to go and help fight this battle in this land. They're helping each other out. And the Lord was with them as they did those things. But then others, and this continued to happen throughout all of the tribes of the nation of Israel, is that they began to not root out all the evil that was there with them, all the rest of the Canaanites and all the other ites that were throughout the, all the land. They started to get friendly with them. They didn't continue to drive them out of their land. They started to take on some of their gods. Next thing you know, it wasn't them just taking on a little bit. The next thing you know, it had them all. That's what we need to be careful in our life as we're continuing to try to walk in the Lord, that we're just not understanding and, and constantly seeing and rooting out the weeds that we have in our life. 
of, of about a month or so ago, Lisa and I are really new at our at our gardening and uh, and everything. And I almost called up Mr. Randy and Miss Quinn because they got it down to a T. If you've ever been to their house, right? And so I almost called them up because th- there was this uh, there was this we we kind we had to especially after the storm we had to kind of redo our landscaping. Lisa has been working on it tirelessly. And, and uh, there was one thing that was growing. We didn't know if there was going to be some nice uh, flowers that bloomed off of this thing or not. And so uh, we just let it continue to grow. And then there was another one over there. So we had a couple of them that were growing. And it looked kind of nice. And at some point, we're thinking, okay, well, maybe some flowers <clears throat> are going to come from this. Is it be a nice plant or nice flower? <clears throat> and then I, I told Lisa, I said, uh, you know that thing that's growing in our flower beds? I'm pretty sure that's a weed. It's the same thing that's growing in our ditch uh, out front. And so finally we pulled it up because you know when you're dealing with weeds and you're dealing with landscaping that it will take over, right? It'll start out maybe looking okay as just a little sprout and boy, they sprout up fast, don't they? And so it started out as just a little bit of a sprout and then you let it grow there and you became a little comfortable with it and the next thing you know, that thing will come up and take over if you don't deal with it. The nation of Israel was like that. They didn't deal with their property. They didn't deal with their, the people that they were around. The next thing you know, it had taken over. The next thing you know, the people that God had saved and that, that had led them uh, through that journey and got them to their, to their promised land are now worshiping Baal, are now worshiping in a foreign God. And God, in chapter 6 of Judges, calls this man Gideon. He says, after the last judge, which was Deborah, there was 40 years of peace while Deborah had reigned as she reigned over Israel. And as soon as she dies, there's seven years of the Midianites that are just coming hard against Israel. They're making their lives miserable by, you know what, they can't even go out there and till their own land and make the things, uh, the, their crops and the things that they need for their, for their families because the Midianites just come and they trample upon them. There's so many examples in this passage of scripture that tells them that they were too numerous to count. Of all the things that, when, when they were, like I said, when they were uh, plowing their fields and they were uh, trying to bring the harvest, that so many Midianites would just come and, and uh, not only destroy it, but, uh, uh, but take from them and do whatever. And they say it was too many animals, it was too many people for them to even count that was coming against them. And so Midian, uh, not, not Midian, but Gideon, is just sitting there at his father's in his father's house. He's there in the uh, in, in a place of, of kind of a shed of a wine press, and he's uh, trying to take care of the wheat that he has. He's trying to take care of this meal, and he's hiding, trying to prepare this food for his family. He's in a place of hiding, and God, uh, the Bible tells us uh, uh, there in verse, uh, I lost my place, but anyway, uh, God comes uh, to him. In, in verse 11, uh, if you're in uh, Judges chapter 6, the Bible says that he comes and the angel of the Lord came and he sits under the terebinth tree. And he comes and he just kind of comes there and resides next to Gideon. And then finally he makes himself appear to Gideon in, chap- in verse 12 of chapter 6. And, he's, and he tells, the Lord tells Gideon that he's with him. And then he also tells them, not only am I with you, but that you, Gideon, are a mighty man of valor. 
He says, uh, Gideon, you are a mighty man of war. And he says, I am with you. Now, that's two things that Gideon didn't believe right there. All he sees around him is persecution. All he sees around him is despair. All he sees about himself, and you can see it in this scripture, is that he is a place of hiding. He's not a mighty man. He's a man that is scared of the opposition, but yet God saw him not as he was, but what God was going to do in his life. Many times we're living in the past. Many times we're living in this place of defeat, and we're not seeing ourselves as victorious people. We're not seeing ourselves on the other side of victory. That's why we uh, did a message, uh, a, a message uh, a year or so ago of, of living and walking in victory because we, God has already given us the victory. The victory has already been won. Now we're just living in that victory. And so he, he uh, shows them here. He tells them, he says, you are a mighty man of valor. Gideon looks at him and starts to question. He says, God, how am I a mighty man of valor? He goes, God, where are you? Aren't you the God who uh, allowed the children of Israel to cross the Red Sea on dry land? Where are you? We're in a place of despair. Gideon just asked these questions. He says, not only where are you, God, and, and how can these things be and that we're living in these situations? He says, but how are you going to call me to do something? How are you going to call me? He says, not only am I the weakest in all the nations, but he says, I am the least even in my father's home. If you go back and you kind of do a little bit of a study, and I'm not going to give it to you this morning. But if you kind of do a full study of the tribes of Israel and all the different territories, you will understand that Gideon is from the tribe of Manasseh. That is one of the two tribes of Joseph. Joseph didn't. There's no tribe of Joseph necessarily, even though it refers to it as sometimes a tribe of Joseph. But it, Joseph's tribe is broken into two. He had a double blessing from his father, Jacob, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Manasseh is actually the is the, actually the oldest son. But when Jacob promised when he was giving the promise, his grandfather was giving the promise over the two boys. He said that Ephraim would be greater than Manasseh. He said the younger would be greater than the older one. And so Manasseh, not only are they put under uh, their, uh, one of the last tribes, but whenever they're crossing over the Jordan River, that tribe stayed on, half of that tribe stayed on the east side of the Jordan River and only the other half of that tribe stayed in to the west of the Jordan River into the promised land. Why do I say that? This tribe is the least of all of the 12 tribes, Gideon says. Not only is my tribe the least or the weakest out of all the tribes, he said, but in my father's house, I am the least. So, okay, there's the 12 tribes in the rank of Israel, and I am last. And in that family tree, I am the least in all of those. Are you getting this with me this morning? God is taking the least person to do the greatest work. The Bible tells us this so many examples, right? It's whenever we start to try to get the credit and we try to do it in our own strength that we'll fall flat on our face. When we come humbly, the, the, the Bible tells us that he'll lift the humble uh, up. The Bible says in his book, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And so for him, he's saying, you know what? I'm going to take the things that make no sense to anyone and I am going to do it. So moving on, 
with all this, the angel of the Lord appears to him and he says, Lord, give me a sign. If it's you, give me a sign. Now, listen, this is why I don't get so dogmatic as far as how the Lord speaks to you and how you speak back to the Lord. Because if you remember in the story, I'm going to move along real quick. because I see you, right? Ronnie Paul's back there hitting the clock. I got five minutes, right? All right. So anyway, he's, he's not really doing that. But anyway, in the New Testament, Zacharias, if you remember, uh, John the Baptist's daddy, had, they had, he had prayed. Every year he'd come in, he'd sacrifice, he'd pray before the Lord for a son. They wouldn't have a son. Him and his wife Elizabeth begged the Lord, begged the Lord, begged the Lord. And finally God says, you're going to have a son. Your wife is going to have a son. He's going to be great. Boy, Jesus said, none greater than, than John the Baptist ever born of woman. And Zacharias questioned the Lord. He said, Lord, is this, is this right? And the Lord makes them mute, cannot speak until his son was born. It was questioning God after God had done, God had answered his prayer. Like we get so surprised when God's answering our own prayer. But on the flip side, God allows this questioning to come between him and Gideon. And so Gideon sits there and he gives God, he said, God, if it's really you, give me a sign. And he says, I'm going to go prepare a, some food for you. He goes and prepares this loaf of bread, this un, uh, unleavened bread. And then he also prepares this meat and he has this broth, the Bible tells us. He puts it there. He brings it back under that tree and he puts it there on a rock. And the Bible says that God, the angel of the Lord, took his staff and he cooked and ate and drank that, that meat and that bread and that broth. Everything was consumed from the Lord. He gave them a sign. He said, surely, he said, surely this is God and God speaking to me. And in verse 24, chapter six of Judges, that's when he says, this place, I'm going to build an altar of the Lord because I know that the Lord is peace. Before any battle was won, before anything had happened, he knew through this situation, he goes, I know that I'm speaking to God and God is preparing me for this situation. The Lord is peace. For us, we need to build an altar to the Lord. We need to understand that God is with us. God is the one that's trying to prepare these battles for us, that we can know we have the victory in those things. Whatever you're going through right now in your life, to know you can have Jehovah Shalom. You could have the peace of God to speak to your heart and life about what to do. And God does it. And so as we, as we see this continue to happen uh, that night, he goes in, God tells him, you need to go and tear down the altar of Baal at your father's house. You need to, you need to, you need to tear it down and understand that you've built an altar to the Lord uh, and you call that altar the Lord of peace. You need to go tear down that altar of Baal that your, that your family has. And so he goes and he tears it down. He, you see his first fruits. You see him actually walking in this place of obedience now. And he goes and he tears down that place of Baal. And the next morning, they, all the people see that Baal's altar had been torn down. It had been destroyed. And they say, you know what? Somebody needs to pay for this. And finally, uh, Gideon's dad spoke up and said, you know what? If Baal is such a God, let him defend himself of the person who did this to him. If he really is a God, let him do it. And for us, let me say just a word to us about that this morning. There's so many things that we're putting our faith and trust in to us for, to have peace. Whether, whether it's we have X amount of money, 
then we're peace because we understand that money can take care of this situation. Whether it's time, whether it's possessions, whether it's relationships, we lean on those things and guess what? Those things cannot take care of us, uh, us and give us the peace that we need. Those things will crumble and fall. Just as Baal was a false god, those things are false gods. And so for us, he said, you know what? Let Baal defend himself. And so, uh, of course, nothing happened to him. Uh, Gideon's name at that time was then changed to represent that, you know what? He is a person who destroyed Baal uh, there. And the spirit came upon Gideon at that point. Gideon comes and he brings all of these, all of his brother nations around him to say, you know what? We're fixing to go to war against these Midianites. I'm fixing to, I'm fixing to show my name that God says I'm a man, a man of valor, a mighty man of valor. So he calls all his brother nations around him and says, we need to go to war against these Midianites and we need to take them because God is telling us he's going to give us the victory. And so when they do that, many, many people come around him. There's thousands of people that come to him. Actually, there is 32,000 people that follow Gideon that God gave him at that one time. And so with that, and they're still fa facing an unbelievable number. They're actually, when they look down into that valley where, where, the, where the Midianites are, the Bible tells us, and I have my number written over here, there's 135,000 people in that valley that they have to fight. And so Gideon, he's sitting there and he goes, God, I need another sign. Isn't that like us, right? It's not good enough that God has already spoken to us. Am I the only one that's like this, just constant doubt with the Lord? He says, God, I need another sign. He says, God, I'm going to, and God says, okay, he, he, I'll, I'll give you another sign. I'll give you another uh, uh, a word that, that I'm doing this for you. He says, I'm going to put out the fleece. I'm going to put out a fleece here on the ground. And he says, God, tonight, whenever I wake, and when I wake up in the morning, he goes, I want the fleece to be dry and everything else to be wet would do. Excuse me. The first time, the fleece was wet. He says, God, I want the fleece to be wet only and the ground to be dry. And so he wakes up the next morning, he goes out there and he wrings it out. And there's uh, all kinds of dew on there. It said a bowl full of dew of water that was on that fleece and everything else was dry. It wasn't enough. He said, God, give me another sign. The next morning, he's, I mean, the next night, he said, God, make everything else to be dew and the blanket or the fleece to be dry. And he did it. And Gideon said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. Again, guys, isn't that just like us? We just cannot take God out of his word. God even sometimes goes through these hoops and things that we just need all these different confirmations instead of us just trusting in the Lord. But we serve a God like that, that knows us, knows our situation. And sometimes he just goes through these things because of how much he loves us and cares for us and his bigger mission that he has out for us. It wasn't enough that God had said, oh, Gideon, I'm going to make you a, man, a, a, a mighty man of valor. I'm going to use you to lead the children of Israel out of their despair. But he needed all of these different signs. And so God does it for him. He, he, he doesn't get angry him, with him. He actually, he actually even says to God, please don't get angry with me. I just needed that one more sign. And so we see now as we, uh, even if you're following along with me a little bit <clears throat> in chapter 7, as he, we're still understanding that God is a God of peace and God is trying to give this nation uh, peace of what's going on, that now it's time for them to go and face this battle. We're talking about 32,000 
against this great number of 134,000 people there in that valley. And God says to Gideon, you know the story, many of you. He says, Gideon, you have too many people. He says, if I give you the victory right now with the number that you have, Israel is going to say, we won the victory. Now, I did the odds yesterday of the number that we have here. And the reason, by the way, if you're, if you're wondering the way I got the 135,000 people, it tells us in the last chapter, in chapter 8, of how many people. But, and then you do the math here in this passage of Scripture, and you understand that uh, Israel, Gideon, has 32,000 people. And God says, if I give you the victory like right here, it is four to one odds. Four to one odds. And it's going to be too great because when you go in and even you're in deficit four to one, you're going to claim the victory for yourself. And so God gives him two things about how to get rid of the men that he has. He said, just simply go to the nation of Israel of all these warriors, these 32,000 people, and say to them, if you have fear in your heart, you can go home. 22,000 of the 32,000 went home. Not trusting in the Lord. I mean, I'm just telling us, I'm reminding us, that's how we and the majority of Christians live our lives. In a place that we're God's people, but that we're so fearful that many times we're trying to get prepared for battle and we just go home. 22,000 of the people went home. There's 10,000 left and God says, still too many. And God says, bring them to the water. And he says, have them drink. And if you get a little bit deeper into it, I don't, and there's so much debate on this, but I really believe God was just looking for the one that was going to be the lower number. And out of the 10,000 people that were left, the ones that got on, I believe they both of them got on their ground to drink. One lapped it up like a dog, didn't use his hands, and the other one actually used his hands. And put it to its mouth. The ones that grab the water like this and put it to their mouth on their knees from the from the brook were only 300 people. The rest of them were 9,700 people that that lapped it up like a dog. And so the Lord says the 300 people that did it that way, that's the ones that I'm going to use. He went from four to one odds to 450 to one odds. And God says, now you're ready for battle. And then he tells them, he tells them this right now. So the people that were fearful of the 32,000, 22,000 of those went already home. Now we're down to 300. And God says, I have the victory is yours, Gideon. And he says, listen, they're there in the valley. And he says, if you don't understand that the victory is already yours and you're still fearful, he says, go down into the valley and spy it out for yourself tonight. And then guess what you see? You see Gideon actually going down there and spying out for himself. It lets you know that he was still fearful, that he was still in doubt. And he goes down there and he listens to the camp and he hears a dream that a guy is speaking of. And he talks about of how a bread is going to come, a loaf of bread was going to come and knock down a tent, was going to tumble it over just because of the single loaf of bread. And the person that went down there with Gideon turned to him and said, Gideon, that is you. That bread is you. 
God is using you. And Gideon finally had another sign that God was going to use him. He goes back to the camp and he comes back and he, the next morning at, at mid-watch, the Bible tells him, he puts his man in three different uh, territories and they go down and they f- defeat the Midianites with the 300 men versus the hundreds of thousands of men of the enemy. God was doing it with the least person of all of Israel. God was doing it with the smallest amount of people against the greater number, 450 to 1. And so when we feel like it's too much, when we feel like we can't handle it, it's because we can't handle it. God puts us in these situations for us to be in, in need of him. Many times it's because of our own situations that we have put us in our own uh, 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 bondage that we have put on ourselves. Our, our greatest enemy is us. But God wants us to be in desperate need of him in the bad times. And he wants us to be in desperate need of him in the good times. That we're always leaning in on him and asking God, God, how can you lead me and guide me today? God said, now with this 450 to one odds, I'm going to give you the victory. And he does. He spends the whole chapter eight chasing down the remaining people to finally get the victory. Now, I told you at the beginning of the message and I'm done and I want to uh, use the couple people that I that I had this week, I asked them to kind of look into the scripture and give me their thoughts. And this I'll use this for our conclusion of the message. As we look at the life of Gideon and the finish the story and God just does an unbelievable, unbelievable thing. Gideon and after the greatest battle and uh, and victory that he's ever been a part of. He even takes from all the spoils and makes him a nice statue of gold and it even tells us there in scripture that it was a snare to the people of of Israel it was a stumbling block and he even tells us that the people the nation of Israel because of this played the harlot is the way it's worded even with that with all of Gideon's mess And even with after the victory, and he still finds himself stumbling and falling, he's still in the hall of faith. And there's hope for you and me. That even when we see God do unbelievable things, and we see walls crashing down, and we see God delivering us maybe through sickness, maybe God delivering us through financial hardship, maybe God delivering us from just whatever it may be, And we find ourselves sometimes going back to the same old mess. As Brother Jake talked about last week, a dog returning to his vomit. And God help us. But know that God still looked at Gideon and said, Gideon, you're a mighty man of valor. When when he tells us, look at these people of how they displayed faith. God tells us in the book of Hebrews, he says, don't forget Gideon. He was a mighty man of faith. The other person, and, I, and I, I promise I'm done, had some questions for me, had some questions for us. Who are the Midianites 
that God has given you so that you will not seek him in, in, in everything in, in, in how you trust in him. What are the Midianites in your life that have been placed in your life that you are now looking to them and being fearful of that you're not trusting in the Lord with? You're not trusting the Lord. You're looking at them and you become slaves to them. What worries, he asks, are stressing you out? What are the things that are stressing you out like it was stressing Gideon out? What people are making, what people are making you upset and frustrating you? What circumstances are you encountering that are pressing you? Or have you not realized that he is trying to get you focused back on him? He wanted the nation of Israel just to, just to worship. He wanted the nation of Israel just to trust him. He wanted the nation of Israel to trust him and see all of his mighty, mighty works so that they could have the peace of the Lord. And he's telling us the same thing here today. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. I pray for believers right now, Lord God, that we have and continue to examine our hearts this morning. As this person asks questions to us and to himself, what are these Midianites in our lives? What are, where, where are these areas and these things and these people that we're looking to and that we're so scared of the situations that we're running and hiding and not facing them and that we're not trusting in you? Lord, you just, you're, these things are happening in, happen in their lives and it's now happening in our lives that you want us to see these things and realize that we could lean in and trust you. And so I pray for Christians this morning that we would be a people of faith, that we would be a people that can know that we serve Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is peace. You can bring peace to our hearts even when everything else is happening around us. We can have peace. I pray for people this morning, maybe in this congregation or maybe online, that have never trusted you as their personal Lord and Savior. To don't, do not know what that personal Red Sea crossing is, what that Passover lamb is, what, what that means to enter into a personal personal relationship with the Lord so that they could have the peace of God that passes all understanding. I pray for them this morning. I pray that you would show yourself to them that they would see their need of a Savior and turn from their wicked ways and turn to you. Again, Lord, we love you and we praise you. We just thank you so much for speaking in our hearts and I pray we would leave this place better than when we came in, Lord God, that we apply these scriptures to our lives. We not only be hearers of your word, but that we be doers of your word. Again, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can we give the Lord a hand this morning? Amen.